Greetings, church and friends of the church. Uh, this is the next episode in this um, series of reflections um, during this time of wilderness, uh, when we're, because of the pandemic, disconnected from what we used to understand as normal, and we're not at a new settled and normal yet. We're somewhere stuck in between. And, and because we are, because we're not just going through the motions of our days with what's habitual and normative, we can have a different view of the world around us and a different view of the self. We have this opportunity to be introspective in a way that helps us to develop a new imagination for how life could be different moving forward, how it can be better than it used to be. So in this series, we've reflected on the posture that we take for these kinds of reflections, for some assumptions that we make, uh, the natural tendencies and temptations that have evolved within every human person as a part of our physical body, um, and the need for spirituality that counteracts these physical forces. Uh, we've also started to consider the isms that plague us, these manifestations of these physical tendencies and temptations that evolved within us um, that show up in human culture in different ways. So in this episode, we're going to reflect on the realities and the symptoms of systemic racism which is a common expression of these tendencies and temptations within human cultures. Um, it's an expression of the antagonism, the exceptionalism, and the colonialism that we've considered in previous episodes. And, and it's a manifestation of our humanity that's supported and sustained in so many nations by the dogmatism, cultism, and politicism, which we've also considered in other episodes. So let's break this down a little bit slowly. So racism is an expression of antagonism. It is an expression of active hostility or opposition by one race of people against another. It's an ideology of exceptionalism that's acted out on the impulses of colonialism, with one race understanding themselves to be exceptional, superior, the standard, and, and then through those colonialist tendencies, trying to make the other races to be like them or to measure up to their standard. There's both uh, religious and political dogmatism in the story of systemic racism, these skewed human interpretations of core uh, principles, like the religious dogma that prosperity and power are divine blessings upon the better people. And the political dogma that anyone can achieve the American dream if they work hard enough. And so those people or races that aren't successful must be somehow flawed. And this dogmatism is wielded by leaders in both the religious and political realms with cultish followings. Leaders who use and abuse even those who follow them. All these isms are like ingredients in the stew. And when they cook over the fires of fear triggered by those tendencies to fight, to have negative assumptions about the other, to tribalize with those who are like us, then we call that stew racism. So racism is often oversimplified as being about individuals and, and their uh, overt or obvious feelings or actions of antagonism, hate, and violence. And yes, part of the story of racism is told through the lens of the individual. Those individuals or groups of individuals who overtly speak words of hate or overtly seek violence against persons of other races, overtly seek laws that oppress persons of other race and privilege theirs. 
Unfortunately, this is a growing part of the story of racism in our nation as the number of hate groups and hate crimes perpetuated by individuals and groups of individuals is increasing. In the last four years, the number of white nationalist hate groups in our country has grown by nearly 60%. The number of hate crimes has increased every year since 2016. The number of hate crimes against non-white persons of color, black, Latino, Indian, Asian, and Arab, is four times the number of hate crimes committed against white persons, even though white persons are two-thirds of the population. So what that means is that a hate crime by a white person against a non-white person is about eight times more frequent or likely than a hate crime by a non-white person against a white person. Just this week, uh, a white man in, in our own town, the King of Prussia, was arrested for hateful and threatening words and actions toward a neighbor of color. When we hear these stories of a particular individual or group speaking or acting hatefully on the basis of race, we're tempted to think that that is the story of racism in America. And if we are not that individual, or we are not part of one of those groups, then we are not part of racism, and we are on the right side of the story of racism in America. But racism isn't only the story of the individuals and the groups who speak or act with hate. Racism is also the story of the collective. It's not just the story of the specific, but also the general. Not just the story of the outlier, but also the story of the trend. And we have to not lose sight of the larger story as we are hyper-focused on the individual or the specific. So for me, I've wondered if maybe it's not that unlike the story I might tell about the Philadelphia Eagles. As an Eagles fan, it's tempting to tell a story about the Eagles that is about the struggles or successes of specific individuals, whether that's players or coaches, or about specific games against specific opponents, or about the history of this specific team. But those stories of specific players, coaches, games, statistics are all within a larger story about the NFL and the culture of football within America, from the NFL down to the Pee Wee Leagues. It's within a larger story about the culture of violence in America that has made these uh, NFL athletes the present-day gladiators within the larger story of this huge gap between the wealthy owners who only stand to benefit and from the players that may be well uh, compensated but suffer long-term physical harm. It's within the larger story about there being a lack of black coaches and executives, within the larger story of this relationship between football and the military, within the larger story of the tension between players who make a statement, and viewers who just want to be entertained. This larger story of the NFL and the flag and this, this debate about what true patriotism looks like. The Eagles playing football games is just one small part within this larger story. Now, as a fan, I may wish that football could only be about the specific and the individual. I may just want to be entertained by the ordered and controlled violence acted out by my hometown gladiators in green. I may just want to talk about statistics and probabilities so that I can connect with other fans or maybe win some money from my buddies in a fantasy football league. 
But what I wish to be true doesn't change the fact of what is actually true. Just because I choose to ignore or deny that larger story so that I can hyper-focus on the specific and so that I can know the benefit of being entertained without having to sit in the discomfort of that larger story doesn't mean that the larger story isn't there and true. Just because I want to only see or experience or talk about things like Carson Wentz being the worst quarterback in football right now or about how he compares statistically to other quarterbacks in real or fantasy football value, or about Doug Peterson's coaching, or lack thereof, when it comes to football, it doesn't mean that these other realities in the story of football aren't true. The athletes um, are still gladiators who entertain for sport at the cost of their long-term health. The owners and the league executives still get rich from this exploitation without having to compromise their own health. There's still less than 10% of coaches who are black, and there's still questionable relationships between the league and the military. What I may risk, uh, resist acknowledging because it would make me feel guilty or uncomfortable doing so, is that by being a fan, by investing time and energy, by watching and rooting and booing, by buying Eagles merch and participating in fantasy football, by being uh, benefited and entertained, I am participating in the larger story of football. I'm not just an Eagles fan. I'm a participant in the whole story of football. My personal benefit, the entertainment that I get or don't get, as it would be lately, because the Eagles suck right now, is directly connected to 99% of the players developing CTE, this condition that results from repeated head trauma that causes dementia and memory and personality change. My participation for the sake of being entertained is directly connected to rewarding the already wealthy owners and executives who have no physical skin in the game and who've been allowed to rely on black player gladiators but keep them out of and distance from coaching and executive roles. I can't only be part of the specific story without acknowledging my part in the larger story. When we talk about racism in America, we need to always be similarly considering the larger story. I can tell specific stories about me and my statistics as I live my American life. How many times I've done something kind or helpful. How many times I've gone to church. How many times I've voted. How much I've paid in taxes. How many times I've been pulled over for speeding. How many jobs I've had. How many times I've volunteered at the school. To speak specifically about racism, I could tell you how many times I repeated a racist comment or joke and felt guilty about it and learned from it. Or how many times I refused to listen to a political or religious voice who's stoking fear and condoning racism. Or how many friends I have who are people of color. Or how many times I've given food to a person of color at our food pantry. Or how many times I've spoken against particular racist words or actions by others. But if I only want to talk about the individual and not the collective, the specific and not the general, the obvious outlier rather than the trends, then I'm not being honest about my place in the larger story of America. I'm just talking about Wentz and I'm not talking about football. By being an American citizen, by living, working, and playing here, by earning a living and paying taxes by being a fan of America and benefiting from America. I am a participant in the whole story. 
And just like I can't just be a fan of Wentz or the Eagles without being directly connected to the entirety of the larger story of the NFL and football, I can't just be me or just a Dooner or just a King of Prussian or just a Pennsylvanian. My living, working, earning, paying taxes and benefiting from all that those taxes make available to me, the roads, the schools and the libraries, the fire and the police services, Social Security, the unemployment insurance, the national security and defense, all that weaves me inextricably into the larger story of America and all that comes with it. I cannot pretend that I can live my individual or my family life in a way that's completely separate, separate from or inconsequential to the life of others. I do not live in my own individual nation. Our family is not its own tribal nation. I am part of a connected collective that we call America. By being an Eagles fan, by benefiting sometimes from the entertainment, by participating with my hours spent watching and dollars spent on swag, I'm directly involved in that larger story that results in nearly universal traumatic head injuries and the funneling of wealth into the pockets of the unjustly wealthy. By being an American, by benefiting from and participating in my American life, I'm directly involved in that larger story of antagonism, exceptionalism, colonialism, dogmatism, politicism, cultism, which when cooked together over the fires of here become the stew of racism. The particular story of my participation in American life is inextricably bound up in the larger story of systemic racism in America. My American life is a kind, helpful, pale and hairy minister, husband, father, son, who's been a faithful member of the church for most of my life and faithful to my civic duties to vote and pay taxes, has been pulled over for speeding five times uh, and learned early on not to repeat racist jokes in order to fit in and will never, God help me, be seen or heard saying or doing anything overtly racist ever again. That individual American life is inescapably part of and connected to the larger American story. My wealth and the equity that we have passed down from my parents and Blair's parents and the generations before them is directly connected to the genera generational wealth and capital that people of color lack. My well-funded education is directly related to the underfunded education of my peers of color. The ease with which I receive a positive audience for my resume or with which I'm welcome to a store or restaurant is directly connected to the prejudice that black sounding names on resumes receive or the suspicion with which people of color are met with in the store. My participation in the life of America is a participation in a nation which cannot be denied. That racism can be seen and heard in the general and the collective and in the trend. To tell the story of America as a connected collective, of which my life is part, is tell, to tell the story of how Americans of color are five times more likely to be hospitalized due to COVID than white Americans, and how Americans of color are more than twice as likely to suffer from diabetes as white Americans, how Americans of color have a life expectancy that's four to five years less than white Americans, how Americans of color are twice as likely to be in dire financial straits than white Americans, how Americans of color are paid less in every sector of American society than white Americans for doing the same jobs, and how Americans of color own about 5% of the, 
of the nation's wealth and assets, while white Americans own more than 90, 85%. And the story of how school districts for Americans of color receive almost $25 billion uh, less in funding annually than school districts that are majority white. To tell the story of America as a connected collective, of which my life is part, is to tell the story of how hate crimes happen to Americans of color eight times more often than to white Americans, or how Americans of color are more likely to get pulled over and more likely to get a ticket than white Americans, or how Americans of color are um, incarcerated for drug crimes at rates five to ten times higher than white Americans despite statistically equivalent rates of drug use, or how Americans of color receive longer sentences than white Americans for the same crimes, and how Americans of color, like Philando Castile, pulled over uh, at a routine tra traffic stop, or Breonna Taylor sleeping in her home, are between three to four times more likely to be killed by police than white Americans, like Tim Dooner pulled over for a routine traffic stop, or Dylan Roof taken alive after having just killed nine people at Mother Emanuel. These statistics and stories are just the tip of the iceberg. There are so many other statistics and stories that reveal the incontrovertible truth that our collective story as America is a story of prevalent and pervasive racism. What I may resist acknowledging because it would make me feel guilty or uncomfortable to do so is that by being an American, by living and working and voting and earning a living and paying taxes, by benefiting from the privileges and the rights afforded to me as a citizen of America, I am participating in that larger story. I cannot separate my individual story from the collective story as if my life is not inconsequential to those Americans of color. I cannot pretend as though that is true. My life, as kind and as not racist as I try to make it, is part of the collective story, which is the story of a culture tainted with racism. My words and or my silence will either allow the story of America to continue as it is or to head in a new direction. My actions and or my inaction will either participate in the perpetuation of the story of racism or it will participate in the deconstruction of racism and the advent of justice. If we just want to watch the game and reap whatever benefit for the self we can by trying our best to ignore or deny the larger story, CTE, the exploitation of violence, and telling players to keep their opinions off the field while entertaining me, then the game will never change. The players will continue to suffer in silence. The owners will continue to exploit them in order to get richer. But if we're willing to see the bigger picture, to listen to the stories of the players of color and to know that they are inextricably bound up in our own stories, and we advocate as consumers for the sake of the players, then the story will start to be rewritten or else the owners risk having knowing no one to buy their product. And we see this starting to be true as Roger Goodell, commissioner of the NFL, has recently acknowledged that they, they got this wrong at first. If we just want to reap whatever benefit for the self we can from our American lives while trying our best to ignore the larger story of racism, and to tune out the voices and the stories of Americans of color because it isn't entertaining or beneficial or comforting to us, because it makes us uncomfortable or guilty, then our story as America will not change. Our fellow citizens of color will continue to suffer, and those who benefit the most from racism will continue to exploit it 
in order to get richer. And all of these symptoms that we've considered, and so many more will continue. This is why Americans of color are crying out for us to take the idea of systemic racism seriously. They're not accusing me as a white American of being hateful and their enemy. They're asking me as a fellow participant in the story of America to see the story for what it really is and to participate in that story in ways that help us to root out these unjust and harmful, harmful effects of racism within the collective story together. As we considered in this series, these isms happen because of these natural tendencies that are part of our evolution. And so we can't expect to find solutions in that which has been the cause. We will not counteract the damages or injustice of racism through these animalistic and physical means. We cannot antagonize, colonize, dogmatize, or politicize our way beyond racism. We have to make room for a different voice that tells us a different story about how we can relate to one another across the lines of race. A different story than what these antagonistic, negative, and tribalistic tendencies tell us. A different story than the one that has been a constant thread in our history handed down through the generations. I find this spiritual voice in the tradition of Christian spirituality, but as we've acknowledged in this series, that voice of golden rule spirituality is nearly universal across the religious traditions, with these voices saying in concert that we don't treat people differently than we want to be treated ourselves. The heart of Christianity is not a message about how to get away from this world of antagonism and racism and escape to a heavenly eternity of exceptionalism while others suffer. The heart of Christianity, if we really take Jesus for his word, is a message about how to live as nations, tribes, and peoples of peace here and now in this world. I am convinced that the core of Jesus' message was not about how to get to heaven, but how to bring the peace and the justice of heaven here among us, on earth as it is in heaven. And the way that this happens is through the hard work of moving beyond those self-serving primal tendencies and allowing a commitment to treat others the way we'd like to be treated, to be that guiding force within us at all times. He taught that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, and he defined neighbor as not just someone from our own tribe, but all people, regardless of race, gender, creed, or ideology. He taught that we must love our enemies, that we forgive 70 times seven times rather than holding grudges and demanding retribution, that we focus on the log in our own eye rather than the speck in others, that we set down our stones of judgment and we deal with our own mistakes, that we set down our swords of vengeance and we break the cycle of antagonism. Are we willing to love our neighbors of color, to truly love them enough to help rewrite the story of America? Are we willing to offer and accept forgiveness? Are we willing to stop hyper-focusing on and pointing out all the mistakes and imperfections of Americans of color and these skewed and often subconscious attempts to justify the injustice against them that we know is wrong, all the while turning the blind eye to our own story? Are we willing to set down our accusations and our judgments and to deal with our own complicity and imperfection instead? Are we willing to do our part to break the cycle? Our self-serving tendencies will tell us not to. And so will those religious and political leaders who are acting on their own self-serving tendencies and trying to manipulate us for their sake. But a grounded spirituality will encourage us to do better. 
a grounded spirituality that demands that we treat each other the way we want to be treated. The story, your story is not just about you. This is about all of America and the story that we write together. And we all have to do our part in writing that better story together. Stay home, stay safe, wear a mask if you have to go out. Be well, and peace to all.